0: Redeeming love, we sang, has been my theme and shall be till I die. Well, redeeming love is Ruth's theme and shall be until the series is over. Uh, We will continue to hear that uh, uh, for for a long while in this story coming up at different times. Uh, If you didn't get a chance to turn to the book of Ruth, I want to invite you to go ahead and do so. Uh, Thank you, Debbie, for reading that for us this morning that we might hear... Uh, just the first act of four acts in this uh, short story that we call Ruth. It's on page two hundred eight in uh, the the black Bible near you, and would love for you to follow along in the story as we consider what God has for us. And uh, as I was considering one specific word in. This passage that's repeated over and over and over, I don 't know if you heard it, maybe you did, uh, but it reminded me of uh, a situation with my wife uh, this this week when we attempted to use the GPS, and it just kept saying, "Turn around, turn around, turn around, keep turning around you didn't turn around, please turn around, turn around, make a u-turn, make a u-turn over and over and over and as I've uh, mentioned, teaching. Tucker how to drive and uh, le- have to learn how to use GPS because that's not how I learned how to drive. I-, I learned how to drive with the old school Maps Quest or Maps Go where you would find an address and find which block on the map it was and then drive there and then if you got lost, you had to have a quarter to put in a thing called a pay phone to call dad and say, you're lost. Where do I go next? And this, that, or the other. Well, Tucker's got to learn how to use GPS to tell you where to turn, uh, to tell you when to U-turn when you've gone the wrong way. Well, uh, whether good times or in bad times, GPS is helpful. This passage, this book is uh, partially like God's GPS, calling His people to return to Him and calling those who are not yet His people to become His people by turning to Him once and for all. Uh, that word is repeated, as I'll point out, throughout this passage uh, and, and is a theme of, of this first act in the book of Ruth. Ruth is uh, an amazing short story uh, that shows God's sovereign care for His people in His unfolding plan, alongside His desire for sinners from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language to become a part of His family through faith in Jesus Christ. I read this quote this week. I thought it was helpful since we just finished studying through the book of Romans. And as we're beginning and preparing ourselves to hear from the book of Ruth, Sinclair Ferguson writes about the book of Ruth that it is not a, deep, uh, not a work of deep theological reasoning like Paul's epistle to the Romans, yet it is full of theology. It is not a magnificent symphony on the work of Christ like the Gospel of John, yet it ultimately points to the coming of Christ. It is not full of vivid, apocalyptic imagery like the book of Revelation, yet it traces the details of God's working in the unfolding of the events of history. It is not basic instruction about the kingdom of God like the Sermon on the Mount, yet it contains important lessons about life in that kingdom. The book of Ruth does all of this by teaching the timeless lessons illustrated in the lives of its three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And its historical narrative carries a message of lasting contemporary relevance. If that were not the case, I wouldn't be bringing it to you today, but God's Word is timeless. It's inspired. It is relevant for all peoples in all seasons and in all generations. But it is one, one of the greatest short stories that you'll you'll read, not, not just in the Bible, but but really ever read. Uh, but one of the characteristics we need to make mention of is, is the fact that this is a true story. Uh, I enjoy reading Eugene Peterson's translation uh, of the Bible called "The Message." Uh, but, but one aspect of his translation, I just want to make clear. He starts the book of Ruth once upon a time, which for us often drags us into, in our culture, so many of those make-believe stories that we loved watching or hearing as kids, and yet this is not make-believe. This is not a fairy tale of sorts. Uh, It is a true short story. It's a historical interlude uh, that happens in a period of history. We know this because it mentions a specific period of history, namely the Judges. It mentions specific names in a, uh, Casey's favorite, genealogy at the end of the book. It mentions specific places like Bethlehem. It mentions specific events that happened like famine and harvests. And so when we read through this, we need to remember that that this is a a true short story. And the beginning of the 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 story it does give us some context into which this book was written uh, or when it takes place, mind you. In Ruth chapter 1, you look at the first verse there, in the days when the judges ruled. So we need to consider before we dive into the book of Ruth, we need to consider uh, partially the judges. And in fact, we need to go back even beyond that a little bit and consider where the judges take place. The book of Judges specifically. We know that God created the world in the book of Genesis. He made Adam and Eve Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3 and were disciplined for their sin. God disciplined the world for its sin in the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, God picked a man named Abram first to be his chosen representative, the father of our faith, to bring about a people for his name's sake. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was Joseph, who delivered God's people in the midst of another famine into Egypt to bring about a period of saving for them? And yet, after Joseph died, it says that another Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph, and God's people were made slaves in Egypt until God called up another deliverer named Moses to go and to deliver God's people out through plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt, as well as the good news of salvation by faith in in God and his ways. And so they sacrificed the lamb. They put the lamb of the blood uh, of the lamb over their doorposts. And God passed over them and delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea to watch all the Egyptians uh, uh, trampled by the waves uh, in the Red Sea. And they get to the other side of the Red Sea on their way to the Promised Land, but sin was continuing to follow them, and they grumbled and complained and found themselves in the midst of another period of punishment and discipline for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness uh, before being able to enter into the Promised Land, where when Moses died, Joshua took up the ranks and courageously led God's people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land where God defeated many of the enemies, but unfortunately the people did not obey the Lord fully and did not put to destruction all of uh, God's enemies in that place. And so God's enemies continued to reappear and continued to reappear. And this is where the judges period of the judges happens. A period where God would raise up a deliverer against God's enemies, would deliver them. They would experience a moment of peace. And then that deliverer would die. They would fall back into sin. They would be taken captive by another enemy that they didn't destroy totally. And they would cry out to God. God would raise up another deliverer uh, who would deliver them. They would experience a moment of peace that deliverer would die, they would fall back into sin, another enemy would take them, and they would cry out to God, and God would raise up, and you feel the pattern. This is the period that Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth, is, is happening in. And, and we would do well to just flip back one page from the book of Ruth. The very last verse of the book of Judges defines what was happening during this day and age. In those, this is Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Not only did the fact that there was no king mean that there was no physical king in Israel uh, ruling over them, for they had judges who were rising up at different occasions. But it also meant that the people of Israel had no king over their hearts individually. They had not made God king, they had made themselves king, which is why they did what was right in their own eyes. And so you can hear that as the backdrop for when we flip back over to the book of Ruth and we read, in the days when the judges ruled... When there's no king, and everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, we're led to believe that what's coming next is someone doing what was right in their own eyes, as we'll see in in just a bit. But that's the period that this book happened in. That's not the period in which this book was written, though. We know it wasn't written by uh, Ruth or Uh, anybody else during that period. For at the very end of the book, if you want to flip, there's a genealogy. A genealogy that goes um, all the way from Ruth and and her people here all the way to King David. Some would say that this book was written during the time of King David to tell God's people uh, in the In in the midst, uh, from where David came, from the midst of a dark circumstance when the judges were ruling and there was no king, that God could take a people who were doing what was right in their own eyes and bring about a king who would want to do the things of the Lord and would have a heart after the Lord. Um, Others would say, and I think it's a little bit more likely, that this story wasn't necessarily written during the time of David, though it tells of the way in which David came about. But it was written probably for another dark period after the time of David, uh, of this time to tell about how God brought about a king in the midst of a dark situation, for these people to whom this book was written, too, were in a dark time. And if God could do this then, then surely He could do it again. And if that's the case, then this book is helpful for us as well. That we look back to a book like this to be encouraged, that no matter what the circumstances of our life, no matter how dark they are, if God could take a people who had no king and did what was right in their own eyes, and use a famine and a Moabite woman to bring about the lineage of King David. Uh, and eventually, if we know our Bibles well, not only King David, but King Jesus, then surely the Lord can uh, move in the midst of our circumstances for his name's sake and for his glory to fulfill his promises along the way. That's why this book is important to us. That's why this book is relevant even for our contemporary circumstances. There's much more I could say about the, the introduction to this book, but I want to get into it. But before I do, I want to give you a few themes. A few themes that will continue to come back, not only this week, but in the next week's over and over. I've got them on the screen for you. I think they'd be helpful for you to write down quickly as I read through them. Um, these themes I want you to begin not only um, listening for, but looking for in the text as you read and reread Ruth over the next month or so. Consider these three themes. First one is this that God's sovereign purposes. Plans and promises are unfolding for His glory, even in life's unexpected circumstances. I'll say it again. God's sovereign purposes, plans, and promises are unfolding for His glory, even in the midst of life's unexpected circumstances." If this is the theme that we see in Ruth and we see it all the more clearly than Ruth ever saw in her lifetime, um, then this is going to be true of us as well. If this is true of our God, this is true of our God still. The second is this. One of the, another theme that we see in the book of Ruth is that true worship is expressed in faith. Faithful trust and faith-filled obedience, even when you can't see the way. True worship is expressed in faithful trust and faith-filled obedience, even when you can't see the way. And how much do we need to remember that? How much do we need that challenge and that reminder of what true worship really is? Not simply going through the motions. Not simply just having a routine. But faithful trust and faith-filled obedience even when we can't see the way. And the last is this. God favorably redeems sinners from all nations who return and take refuge in Him. God faithfully redeems sinners from all nations who return and take refuge in Him, even us who first turned away. That's the good news uh, that we see in the book of Ruth. And like I mentioned earlier, Ruth had no idea what her story was going to bring about. Not in the legacy of King David, especially not in the legacy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. She had no clue. Nor did the people whom Ruth was written to. Uh, And yet we, who live thousands of years after this period, thousands of years after the period... When this story was written, and thousands of years after Christ, we have such a better understanding of what the book of Ruth really means than even those who experienced it and even those whom it was written to. And so, what a privilege that we have as we consider this book. As I mentioned, Ruth is a great short story. We're going to break it up, Lord willing. Uh, if I can keep going at this speed, uh, into four messages. One chapter each week. One act in this short story uh, each time. And I'm going to do my best to break it up into different scenes. And the first scene happens in chapter 1, verses 1-6. through If you're taking notes, you could write this uh, question regarding this first scene. Trust God's way. Or take my way. Trust God's way or take my way. You remember that the last words of Judges were, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Then the book of Ruth opens in the days when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That's not good. Uh, We recognize that. Not only would that be bad in our day and age, um, but even more so in their day and age when they don't have Amazon Prime to ship from outside of their area that's not receiving any rain or any, uh, and has no crops and things like that. So there's a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, a man of Bethlehem. In the midst of a famine when there was no bread, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Uh, We can assume, based on some of the context of the book of Judges transferring to the book of Ruth, that Elimelech is likely not doing what the Lord would have wanted him to in these moments. On the heels of everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We can understand that Elimelech too was doing what was right in his own eyes. Rather than trusting God's way, he was taking his own way. We also know this because What Elimelech was doing goes against what God had told His people to do in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 26, verse 3. God promises, If you walk in My statutes and observe My commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. But... Leviticus 26, verse 18. If in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron. That sounds familiar to Dallas Fort Worth. Recently, your heavens like iron, your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit it mentions he's from Bethlehem the house of bread the last time Bethlehem was mentioned in judges was the in the midst of embarrassing sin stories in which you would not want to read in front of your children or read publicly in front of the church though it would be A worthwhile experience for us. Bethlehem was in that kind of sin and God had already said what He would do if His people lived in that kind of sin. And it's happening to them in the midst of this famine. Not all famines in the Bible are the result of sin, but it seems as if this famine is. And Elimelech, rather than repenting along with his people in Bethlehem, Trusting the Lord and waiting for God to provide, he hightails it out of the house of bread and goes to Moab. And now Moab, now that, that should ring all kinds of bells if you know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, I'm going to ring them for you. The, the Moabites were evil. They were bad news. Uh, if you don't believe me, just start reading in Genesis and keep on reading, and they'll pop up, and it's never good. It's never good. Even their origins come from daughters taking advantage of their drunk father and having children. Um, they become enemies of Israel for a long time. Um Lastly, in the book of Judges, oppressing them for some 18 years. And so Elimelech is leaving the house of bread in Bethlehem and going to sojourn among the Moabites? We could even pause to consider the word sojourn. We too have been in Elimelech's shoes where we could choose to go God's way, or choose to go our own way, and we said, you know what? I'm just going to sojourn in that sin. I- I'm just going to taste it. I'm just going to dabble in it. I'm just going to sojourn. I'm just going to go, and then I'm going to come back. I'm not going to go for 10 years over there. I'm not going to go for forever over there. But you keep reading. Did you hear what Debbie said? They were there for 10 years. No one expects to sojourn in sin for decades but it catches you. And that's what happened to Elimelech. He, instead of trusting in God's way and repenting of sin, he leaves. Now, I imagine others left as well, but there were many others who stayed. For when the story returns back to Bethlehem, there are people that remember Naomi. And so we need to ask ourselves the question well, when is it time? It, It seems like Elimelech was trying to provide for his family. When is the right time to leave, to change jobs? When is the right time to move on? When is the right time to make a change in your life? And I can't tell you exactly when that is, but I can tell you when it's not. It's not the right time to move or to change um, when that move or that change causes you to disobey what God has made abundantly clear in His Word. If a move or a change takes you away from God's people, keeps you or takes you into a sinful, tempting situation, this, that, or the other, if that move or that change causes you to disobey other parts of God's word, it's not the right time to move or to make that change in that situation. But Elimelech did. He went from Bethlehem to Moab. Uh, Thanks be to God what we find out regarding Bethlehem not only in this story, but even beyond this story, is that it was those fields of Bethlehem that were experiencing famine then that will be the same fields that David is shepherding his sheep in several decades later. It'll be that same village and town where not only King David grows up, but King Jesus was born and uh, is visited by the shepherds of his day who were in those uh, fields that experienced famine in the past. This house of, of bread may have been dry and unfruitful for this season, um, but God will visit His people. God will make good on His promises uh, again. So it already seems like a bad situation, but it gets even worse after introducing us to the characters of Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, the name of his two sons Malon and Kilion, which was like sick and dying were their two names. Uh, they were mentioned that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went into the country of Moab, and they remained there. So we have sojourn, we have remained, and we're about to have ten years. Verse 3, things get even worse. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. I I doubt that Elimelech ever thought, oh, I'm just going to go sojourn there and get a little bit. I I doubt he never never planned on saying, you know what, if I go and sojourn there, then maybe my children can marry Moabite wives. But eventually, even after his death, that's what happened. He led his family into the midst of sin rather than trusting the Lord, and it continued on. But the Lord can make good even from the bad. So unfortunately for Naomi, Elimelech dies. Unfortunately for her sons as well. And then it gets even worse. These took Moabite wives. The name was of one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And Ma- both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I want you to consider those circumstances, how bleak they are. First a famine, then her husband dies, then her two sons die. She has planned three funerals, stood over the gravesites of her husband and her two sons. This is not the point in this story Or in any of our stories, when we see that kind of desperation to see, see, you shouldn't have sojourned in Moab. You knew it was wrong. This is not the time for that. The time for what happened here is weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. This is a harsh, harsh situation. This is not good, and yet it is in the midst of that hardship Um, that God begins to reveal His plan. It's in the midst of that type of suffering that God begins to shine the light of the the good news of the Gospel. This is where the end of scene one takes us. And scene two picks up with a change. It it picks up with a, a change. Remember, like I said, not one that would take someone farther away from God or one that would go in contrast to what God has said, but one that would take someone closer to God. One that would take someone in the way of obedience to what God has said. Scene 2 could be, we could ask the question, return to God or return to my gods? It starts with this in verse 6, "...then she arose with her daughter-in-law..." to return. Scene 1 started in Bethlehem and uh, transgressed all the way to Moab. Scene 2 starts in Moab and begins to return and make their way back to Bethlehem. And it's that word return that is used some ten times just in the rest of this chapter. It's the Hebrew word shub, uh, a, a word that is translated in English, return, go back, take back, brought me back. So when you see that return, you see that go back word in this dialogue, that's that same word. But what the author of Ruth is really trying to get across is not just a physical move, Not just a physical return from Moab geographically to Bethlehem geographically, but a spiritual move. For the word shub in Hebrew, that word for return is the most common word used to describe spiritual repentance and conversion. And so the author is hinting at us here in the midst of this story, something that the Hebrews would have recognized We may not have recognized that he's preparing the way, not only for a physical move, but a spiritual move, a spiritual repentance and conversion that's about to happen as well. She arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Why? For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let me note this, no one returns, no one repents apart from hearing the good news. She hears the good news of what the Lord had done and she turns, she returns, she goes back to, towards the Lord, she goes back towards God, back towards the house of bread, but she does it because she has heard the good news. And Christian, this is the only reason you turned to the Lord. Because you heard the good news. This is the only reason your friends and family members and co-workers are going to return to the Lord or return to the Lord because they hear the good news of how the Lord has visited us sent us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to take on human flesh, to live a sinless life, one that no one had ever lived up to that point and yet willingly died on the cross in our place to take the punishment for human sin. Uh, was buried in the grave and rose victoriously on the third day. The Lord has visited us in, in Jesus Christ. And if we want to see our people, um, some who call themselves Christians, return to the Lord, or if we want to see those who are not yet Christians turn to the Lord, we have to herald the good news. We have to be those who share it, for Naomi would not have returned apart from hearing the good news in the fields of Moab It also means that we need to be in the fields. (laughs) That's helpful, huh? From that parable of Matthew chapter 13, we're not to take ourselves and segregate ourselves and silo ourselves from the world. We're to be in the world, not of the world. We're to be in the fields until the Lord returns and divides us in the end. Were to be in the midst of the fields hoping that some of those weeds would become wheat. That some of those who are worshiping their God would worship the one true and living God in Jesus Christ. We have to be heralding the good news in the fields. And think, thankfully, some did in Moab. Naomi hears it and she arises to return. She went out from the place where she was with her two daughters in verse 7, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. I would say probably not the best evangelistic strategy at that point. As you're returning to the Lord to say, I'm returning to the Lord, for He's visited our people. You go back. Uh, you go away. I'm going to go towards the Lord. Wouldn't you think that Naomi would say, come with me? Come with me. Make my God your God in that moment. Wouldn't you think? But Naomi here is actually doing something very much like Jesus. Telling those who would follow him to leave their riches behind. Leave your family behind. Leave your gods behind. Sell your field. Leave everything. Take up your cross and follow me. And there were some who did, but many more who didn't. And Naomi seems to be doing the same thing, not just once, not just twice. Three times a lady, she did this over and over. Look in verse 10. They said to her, no, we will return with you uh, to your people. But Naomi said, turn back. There's the word again. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb? That they may become your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me. Remember that word exceedingly bitter. To me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi's playing her cards there and saying that the Lord, hand of the Lord, has gone out against her and against her husband and her family because of their sin of going their own way, um, doing what was right in their own eyes. Now she's bitter because of her own sin in her life and her circumstances. It says in verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah takes the bait. Uh, Like the parable of the soils in Matthew 13 that the seed lands on, there's two soils that grow up quickly but then die off because of a lack of root or because the sun beating down on those sprouts, Uh, Orpah at first says, yes, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you to the house of bread where your God has visited His people. But then very quickly she turns and and goes back to her gods. As Naomi makes clear in verse 15, after Ruth clings to her, Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God's return after your sister-in-law the third time. But Ruth, and here it is, the the climax of not only chapter 1, but maybe the entire book of Ruth, the what I'll call conversion moment of Ruth. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. We, we can't read more about it than what is right there in front of us. But I think right in that moment, Ruth is converted, is born again. She makes her statement of faith right there. And she says, Your God, who has said to your people, I will be your God and you will be my people, is now my God. And now I'm a part of your people. Let nothing separate me. She's willing to leave behind her family, her father and mother. She's willing to leave behind her gods uh, in Moab, uh, the false gods that they worship there. She's willing to leave behind security there, provision there to follow the Lord. And isn't that what God has called us to as well? to follow Him, to trust Him, to either turn to God or return to God or turn back to our gods and return back to our gods. This is the decision that not only Naomi had to make, not only did Ruth have to make it, but we too have to make that same decision. We have to consider whether or not we're gonna turn back to our ways and to our gods, or we're gonna to turn to the Lord's way and to his gods. It made me think of Jesus speaking to his disciples in John chapter six, after many of his disciples in verse sixty-six, John six, sixty-six, says, After many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, so Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well and simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god so too ruth had come to believe that god was the only true and living god she had come to put her faith in him And she was essentially saying, like the twelve disciples, where else am I going to go? Back to Moab? Back to worship Chemosh? Back to pagan idolatry and sacrifice and prostitution to worship false gods? Or to the one true God who is going to make a way and save His people, redeem His people? And she responds in faith. You see, this is just the beginning of the good that God does in the midst of suffering. Church, you remember what we read in Romans 8? In the midst of suffering, Romans 8.28 says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose. All things are not good But God works them for the good. Well, this was just the start of some of the good that was going to come from the bad that was happening in Elimelech and Naomi's family's life. The conversion of Ruth, even in the midst of the death of Naomi's husband and son's we need to be able to make that decision ourselves are we going to turn to god or return to god are we going to turn back to our gods and return to the gods of our ways scene 3 shows them continuing on this journey and getting all the way back to bethlehem now the question here is is this would you rather be empty yet with God? Or full, yet without God? Do you want to have nothing and yet have the Lord on your side? Or do you want to have everything that this world has to offer and yet not have God on your side? Naomi and Ruth choose the former. And so... In verse 18, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, and the women of the town said, is this Naomi? Uh, Specifically, the women who had stayed in Bethlehem those 10 years and persevered in that place called the house of bread. Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, since Naomi means pleasant. Instead, she says, Call me Mara, for Mara means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, that is, uh, full of family full with a husband and with sons. uh, had a full house and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi or Pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? That name would have brought to mind um, the story of uh, that happens in Exodus after the people cross through the Red Sea and get uh, on their way towards the promised land and come upon a well that's, that's bitter. It's called Mara at that point. Um, bitter waters, a bitter experience uh, because of their grumbling and complaining. Here, a bitter experience because of their sin. The Lord had testified against their decisions up to that point. She had, she said she had gone away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. We're going to see that theme played out. Fullness and empty. We're going to see that, that, that uh, or we already saw it in this act. Act 1. This move from the house of bread away to Moab and now back to the house of bread. We're going to see this other theme in verse 22, so Naomi returned, and, the, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Do you remember where Ruth 1 started? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine. And yet here, Ruth 1 ends at the beginning of of barley harvest. The tides have changed. Uh, God is beginning to make good on His promises as the people have returned to Him. And while not every story ends up like the book of Ruth ends up with bread aplenty and with a house full in the end, we have to come to make the choice that Naomi and Ruth made. They didn't know whether or not they would have plenty of grain and have a full house later on in the story. They had to make this decision. Do I want to be empty physically yet with God or full with the things of this world and yet without God? In closing, it, it reminds us of Luke chapter 15 in the story of the prodigal son who rather than wanting to be in his father's house wanted to have all the things of this world and yet in choosing to have all the things of this world he did not have his his father. And he had to make that choice as well. I can stay out here in the world and be without my father and my family or I can go back to... My father, even though I may not have anything when I return. And Luke 15 17 explains this and says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? "...more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. and they began to celebrate. I think the parable of the prodigal son could be the parable it could be somewhat titled the parable of Naomi and Ruth. Naomi re- returning back to their heavenly father, even if they would just be servants when they return, only to find out they're daughters of uh, the Lord. This is some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as we go through the book of Ruth. It is an ancient short story, but it has contemporary relevance for us specifically whether or not we will turn or return to the Lord even this morning. And I wonder about you. What kind of circumstances you're in the midst of? Harsh, desperate, dark circumstances? maybe not as dark as Naomi was experiencing, but nevertheless, hard situations. And we've all been in moments uh, that have been harder than others. And maybe you find yourselves in one of those. Maybe it's because of your own sin, or maybe it's just because of we live in a sinful world. Either way, the Lord is, wants to use it for your good, He wants to use it so that you might turn to Him for the first time, repenting of your sins like Ruth did and choosing to make God your God, Jesus Christ your Savior who died and rose from the dead for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe it's you as a Christian having strayed in one way or the other, having gone your way over God's way one way or the other, trusted your words or someone else's words over God's words, or choosing to be full without the Lord rather than empty and with the Lord. This is an opportunity for each of us as God's children to return, to turn back to the Lord in whatever way we have turned away from Him. We have an opportunity to do that this morning and every morning when we uh, come together as God's people, whether it's together as a church on Sunday or even individually on a daily basis, to make the decision to turn to the Lord this day and to live this, this day and this life for His name's sake. We're going to have an opportunity uh, with the theme of bread in the, throughout the book of Ruth to break bread, to remember that it was Jesus As a part of the lineage of Ruth that led to David, that led to Jesus, it was Jesus born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, who later said, I am the bread of life.